talking about a plan. We've never discussed like any plan, but you keep saying we have a plan. I had like a general outline, you know? I was gonna go down on her for like several hours, okay? She would love that. She'd be smitten by that. She'd go out with that. Or I'd dry hump the shit out of her leg. What is up, Nux? And welcome to a special post-stiffy edition of Moose Tracks, where I'm here joined by uh, our two-time defending champ, Ken. We're going to recap the auction, of course, give a team-by-team rundown, and then talk about the top moments of Stiffy 11. Not Ken, much. Up, glad man? to be on. Uh, day after the best day of the year, so I'm glad to join you on the recap. It is the best day of the year, and uh, you may not have been able to tell by my energy yesterday. I'm, I'm, you know, everyone knows I've been a little bit off with the, the medical woes, but I still did have an awesome time. Appreciate Sean hosting, cup cooking, and, and just the chance to see everybody um, and get out of the house. I haven't had much of a social life this year, yeah. really, <laughs> as I've been dealing with all this stuff. So just to get out, see everyone, and do what I enjoy doing, which is talking baseball and, and, and you know, all things fantasy. Uh, I was having more fun than it looked like. Let's just put it that way. But I'm making a pledge for 2021 to be like demand level because uh, I know I have to make up for for a relatively lackluster yeah, I guess performance. I, think I gotta make up. I guess um, I was a little low energy, even though I was having the time of my life too. But I guess it was just inside my own head. But um, yeah, like you said, I, I think we knew you were not fully healthy so it was all good and uh, we talked about it a little bit before the draft started but um I, I i don't know i felt like whenever we have stiffy you're always got your head down and doing your research in the corner somewhere so i wasn't like completely out of the ordinary but uh your team shows that <laughs> you were hurting me a little bit i'll just say that oh <laughs> it's like that huh it's like that. Okay, well, we'll, we'll get to my team, bitch. Uh, <laughs> uh, but g- generally speaking, you know, just w- what's your overall reaction to the auction? Any like marketplace surprises, takeaways? Um, what, yeah, what stood out um, to you? Like said, we'll go through it team by team. But in general, looking at it, uh, I felt like a little more so this year, maybe just because I wasn't participating as much as in this regard, but it was a lot of good cheap buys. Um, So people were spending on the expensive folks and then waiting for the cheap one to $3 buys. But then at the same time, um, some money was left on the table. So I I think people were a little more budget conscious than they needed to be. But but, uh, I think there's some good buys at the end still. There was some money left out there. Um, there and there was some major inflation, but it was more so in like the second tier. Yeah, yeah. right. Like you mm-hmm. saw the top guys. The Lind- the Lindor was like you know I think fifty five, and Freddie Freeman mid mid forties, Bryce Harper mid upper forties. Um, whereas I thought we might have seen some of those guys like break into the fifties or close to sixty for for Lindor, just based on the fact there was a lot of money to be spent. But I think we kind of saw that inflation take place more in the second tier really in like the second tier of bats, like, you know, even Chris Bryant, you know, for 40, not saying it's, I, I wouldn't have paid that, but it's like, it's more than I thought he was going to go for. And there's quite a few guys in that range that were, you know, the, not the, the superstars, but the stars who, who we kind of saw their prices get pushed up. So the inflation was there. It was just kind of one level down. That's it. Um, 
and I thought it was yeah, that's a great observation. Actually, I didn't think about it that way, but I think the the mentality of seeing Trout for seventy and uh, Betts for sixty five, I think people may have been a little weary to go that high, and so they were targeting those second tiers and then going higher than those guys should have, while still. On, on just like on the surface level, it doesn't look as bad as going to the 60s, but 40 for someone that should have been 30, that's still it's still an increase in price there. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I think that a lot of guys are probably going, well, shit. Like I don't want to, I don't want to go pay Mookie or Trout money for a Lindor or a Freeman or a Harper. Um, so I'm I'm not going to budget that much or plan to go that hard. But then I've yeah, got money to spend, visual. right? And so. It was kind of like the, the the conversation I had with Sean in the last show was like, you know, if you can figure out what's happening and then where the money's going to go, that's that's a big piece of the equation. It, mm-hmm. It's so hard to calculate that on the spot in, the, in a live draft room. That's definitely what was taking place there. Uh, something else I, I noticed was the the relief pitching market um, almost took on like a saves plus hold mentality in that for the second year in a row, we didn't really see the top closers go for a ton of money. You know, I think Osuna for 18 was probably the most, but most of the even established closers were more in the $10 range. Um, And then there was a handful that made it, you know, for a couple bucks and then even into the supplemental on top of that, there were relievers uh, that were drafted or or purchased in the supplemental that were, um, that are not closers Mm -hmm. and maybe they're guys in waiting, but they're really like, it's, it's more of a whether the guys you'd have to ask each manager, did, did they buy them because they think they're going to get the job or did they buy them for the ratios or maybe some combination of both, but um, kind of as expected, the, 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 the relief market remained kind of suppressed and, and it kind of, it was interesting because three players, it looks like punted saves. I don't think you have, did you get, no, I, I, I usually like get my closers throughout the year rather than pay for them here. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that's kind of on brand for you, but it looks like uh cup check. I think he threw a dart or two in the supplemental might've landed in one in Tony Watson. And then JD, I don't think he grabbed any closers either. So, Oh well, no, he does have Liam Hendricks. So he got one. Um, so it's kind of interesting. And then there's some guys who have four or five, so they're all accounted for, but they're spread out. And uh, the guys who have two or three will be able to compete most weeks because uh there's there's a handful of managers that, that don't quite have their saves locked up yet. So it, it will certainly, we'll see a, a distribution of those guys throughout, especially as people buy and sell. So I get your approach as far as not paying for them now. Yeah, you only really I, need I think them you're right. I was expecting this type of a market. Um, I'll, I'll say that I usually try to get a $1 at the end or a, or the supplemental guys uh, just for the number of saves. But like I was getting shit for not being drunk enough, but that one completely slipped my mind. So I was high enough for sure. But uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, there wasn't really a market, but if there's two or three guys going for those names and that's what happened, those, those dollars still get up there. Yep. Yep. And there's, there's some interesting closer and relief strategies that I, I think came to fruition for some guys, but we'll talk about that um, on the individual level. The other category, so, you know, three guys so far have more or less punted saves or, or at least are well behind. Stolen bases is the other category that's kind of easy to punt because it doesn't really correlate with yeah. anything else. And so I thought this year, and, and there was a point in the offseason where I was going to punt stolen bases, but I, I decided not to. 
Um, I thought we might see a couple guys do it this year because stolen bases are so expensive and because they're so they're they're so few and far between and at the major league level compared to even a few years ago, I thought we might see a couple guys do it, but it really looks like Eli is the only one who did. I mean, he has some stolen bases on his roster, namely through keepers like Trevor story is going to steal some. And um, you know, a couple other guys will chip in a handful, Hunter Dozier Machado could, but by and large, it looked like he punted it and he was kind of the only one who, who did. So were you expecting like, how did, did that market play out the way you would have thought? Or did you think that uh you know, more or less people were going to go ahead and just still pay for stolen bases. As like, I didn't put way too much thought in how steals were going to play out. Although like just going the days going up to it, when you start looking at the, the numbers closer, I did start to realize how rare they actually were. So I don't know if anyone, most people are like me or not, but it's kind of like you're, you're looking at the names and like you said, where steals aren't real, they don't correlate really with any other stats. So you can kind of forget about them or if, and on accident and maybe that's what happened to Eli or if it was on purpose, but like I'm looking at auction values for the lists and obviously some like, um, like Keston, maybe he's higher cause he has power and speed, but um, I wasn't targeting steals, but I wasn't punting steals. So it's kind of like when the value was there, I might've picked some up uh, maybe some others were that way. Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it's going to be interesting, too, because they've been on this downward trend, yeah. stolen bases in general. Um, and there's a good reason for that, like, uh, in a real baseball sense, because as power has trended upwards, it makes less sense to try to steal a base when there's a higher likelihood that the guy who's at the plate is going to hit the ball out of the park. Yeah. Like you don't want to give up an out and a potential run. Um, so the the break-even point on success rate um, – has to be like closer to 80% right now for it to be worth yeah. it. Right. Uh, whereas in, in, in a lesser run environment, it can be down like to 70%. It's worth it to take more risk when it's harder to score runs. And there's some indications out of spring training right now. It's super early. Um, and we don't even know if the ball they're using in spring training would be the one they're using in the, yeah. uh, in the regular season, but there's some indications right now that the ball is going back to the lesser juiced version. Um, uh, home runs per plate appearance is a little bit down right now. I saw someone tweet that. And Zach Eflin, is that his name? Yeah, Whatever yeah. his name is, Eflin from the Phillies is saying that last year the ball felt like a cue ball in his hand. And now this year you can feel the seams better and it feels a little softer. And so there's some, it's all anecdotal right now, but there's some indication that the ball is going to be less juiced, which would put an emphasis on more of the manufacturing runs. So maybe we actually see a rebound in stolen bases it should affect most people across the board pretty evenly. So I didn't put a lot of thought into that as far as like who, what kind of guy, guys I wanted to target. Um, but it will be interesting to see if, if there's kind of a regression in power and, and a progression in speed, depending on how the baseball. Plays that's, out. A, that's a good point. Like I, I was thinking I can't predict how steals are going to go. So I didn't put too much of an emphasis on finding them. Um, but the way you put it makes a ton of sense. And I guess a little bit of a tangent, like all this, all this shit that Manfred is getting for the, how he's handling the Astros. I'm, I'm shocked that not enough, not as much attention is being put on this baseball. Like how can something so integral to the game get changed without telling the actual players? And then when they ask about it, there's not even an answer to it. So it's like, it's a, it's a complete 
change of the game they're actually playing the rules not technically the rules but something that interval is okay what i'm trying to say is that no one knows how it's going to play even the players and that's just ridiculous to me i agree with you completely and then like the on one hand it's like oh well they're all using the same ball so it affects everyone differently but it's not the same like it's not you yeah. know like if all of a sudden uh, if all of a sudden the three-point shot was worth four points like that doesn't affect everyone but, the same but, way <laughs> just because you're playing by the, the same rules they would like have that told them that it was four points <laughs> Like they're not even telling. <laughs> That's a good that point. Yeah, it's yeah. at the end of the game. They're like, "Oh wait, sorry, we forgot to add yeah, in these extra ones." Crazy. Um, yeah, no, I agree with you. But he, dude, he's almost, and, and this is not a political statement, but just a matter of, of, of fact on kind of how he operates. He's almost Trumpian in that, like, he there's there's so much shit in the news cycle that you can't even. You have the Astro stuff. You have the baseball stuff. You have. The I'm changing the amount of teams that go to the playoffs. Yeah. You have uh, one something that's barely even talked about is that they might contract like 40 minor league teams. <laughs> like they might just get rid of a shit ton of minor league affiliates for some reason. Um, minor league salaries are shit. There's could be a work stoppage next year. Like there's so much shit yeah. in the news mm-hmm. cycle that the baseball just kind of gets yeah. lost. So um, I don't know. I mean, that's I a know. good point. Any other that's uh, a good point? But the ball was happening last year when there wasn't such a crazy cycle, and it was just being swept under the rug. It's yeah, it's insane. Yeah, but I think it was talked about more. It was just, but it was being swept under the rug from the They they denied it and they put out. The, but I mean, we I think we were talking about it more. But now there's other stuff that occupy yeah. that airspace. Uh, any other kind of high level observations before we jump into the team by team? Not really. Let's, start, let's do it. Okay. So the auction always unpredictable yet in recapping and kind of looking through each team, it it was pretty predictable on a manager level, as far as just the types of the, the, the styles guys have, the types of players guys go for um, a lot of them. I could, I, if you would have given me a list of the teams and blacked out like the, the manager's name um, and the keepers, of course, because it would be a giveaway. I think a lot of the teams I could have told you, who it was because mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it just they were very on brand for a lot of the guys beginning with cup check who like he always does yeah. with stars and yeah. scrubs he went out and bought the, the most expensive player in lindor and the the i believe the second most expensive hitter in freddie freeman 55 and 43 dollars respectively um he spent some money on pitching he spent some money on marcelo zuna then a bunch of one dollar guys so right on brand for him how did you like the way that his team shook out? i have a, I have thought about the stars and scrubs and probably adopted it a couple years uh, a while ago, but I've really been turned off about that uh, strategy of late. Um, there's because baseball is just so deep. I feel that's a, not a great strategy, uh, but I agree with you that is the cup strategy. Um, so I don't hate Lindor fifty five, uh, but I it just yeah I'm not a fan of the strategy, um, but. Giolito is what stood out to me. Um, I thought that was a, a crazy markup, but then Eli next to me is like, oh, that's a great buy. So I'm like, oh, shit, I thought it was going to go for five bucks. <laughs> so maybe that was something <laughs> about me, but uh, like his keepers were pretty good, I thought, to be honest. Um, in general, I, I thought he had a decent draft. Yeah, so this, for so Giolito, first of all, I mean, he's someone who the, the projections aren't going to like because every projection system is some form of a weighted average where it's like looking at the last year and giving that, we'll call it, you know, 60%. 
and then two years ago, 30%, and then three years ago, 10 You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And so he's, he was so – I mean, two years ago, he was literally the worst starting pitcher in baseball, like by the numbers, and then had this breakout. And so the projections are obviously going to be pretty tame because they're going to go, wait a minute, what mm-hmm. happened? They don't understand the fact that he made a lot of tangible differences or, or changes. So, you know, he's someone who I, I think, you know, there's always a little bit of risk in going 26 bucks on someone who has had one good year. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, as far as the stars and scrubs strategy, you know, I think it's, I, I would like it better in a, a non-keeper league. Like I think in a 12 team mm-hmm, league, mm-hmm. stars and scrubs will work really, really well because um, we look how many guys, like there's going to be 50 guys who are, who are not on a roster right now, who are all like good players who find their way onto our teams. And so if you can buy a bunch of really good guys and then work the wire, there's a pretty good replacement level of talent out there over the course yeah. of the year. So you can build a good yeah. team. The reason that works in like a redraft league is you get your stars and then you're not at all attached to the guys who are your scrubs. You can just churn through them. But the scrubs in this case are $1 guys. And those $1 contracts are worth a lot, right? In the sense mm-hmm. that they can be flipped for, if you hit on something, like you're kind of, you get attached to them. Like, you're like I don't want to just cut this $1 guy because he... Like it's a one dollar contract, and those guys are valuable. So, there it, it can work. I think it's good as as long as you're willing to churn at the bottom, but you do miss out on some of those opportunities to to get those like one dollar studs. And I think that would be you know the criticism. If there's a criticism I have of Cup's team is like if you look at uh, his pitching staff, the the Marco Gonzalez and Dallas Keuchel, for example, each one dollar. Um, if you're looking for 180 reasonable innings, those guys are fine and, and they're worth a dollar or more. Um, but that's the kind of low upside. Yeah. Like th- those guys are, are not going to be worth much more. And, and even if Marco Gonzalez is pacing 18 wins or something like he did last year at the deadline, uh, no one's going to give him shit for Marco Gonzalez, yeah. right? Just because he's a I like Puck. And same with Keiko. So yeah, I like Puck at a dollar. Puck, I don't yeah, like Keiko. Puck a completely different story. Tough guys. Yeah. Exactly. So I, th- I think that if you're going to go stars and scrubs, the the one dollar guys should be guys that have big Those time are, upside. Yeah. Um, but but you got to be willing to cut bait because there's going to be gaps in the middle of the roster just by by uh definition there but i do i think he did really well with glass now who i know that was about the price he could have been kept yeah. at if someone traded for him um i knew he was getting always the now. injury risk yeah <laughs> always the injury risk but uh probably my favorite buy in that he is the type of guy that even over like if he can get 160 or 170 innings like cy young caliber arm so i thought that was probably my favorite buy um he punted saves like i said he tried to get a couple guys in the, in the supplemental i'm sure he'll try to work that out through the wire, um, but gonna gonna be giving that category away at least early on. Uh, one more thing on the um, stars and scrubs because it's I think it's just uh, a complete opposite uh, way to think about it. Is I think and I don't and he can comment if I'm way off base here, but it's like you get the stars who are guarantees, and then you fill it in with a lot of cheap guys, and it's kind of like if I get eight cheap guys and four become studs, then I have four guys that I, that can really have as keepers or trade bait. Um, I think I'm starting to think about it as those guaranteed guys aren't so guaranteed. And if they, I mean, they're guaranteed to be good, but are they guaranteed to be studs? So I'm trying to load up more on middle guys where 
if they're they're likely to be good and then i'm seeing those as better value lotto tickets to become studs rather than the one dollar guys who will who will miss more often than not yeah i think i mean i think it just it it depends on on where you can find the value right like right right. like you can find a bunch of value in 50 dollar players if they're going to have 60 dollar seasons but you're right like those top guys like they have to basically they're the safest and as far as the highest floor, but guys rarely earn that level of price tag, including Mike Trout, right? Like you're, yeah. you're buying the floor as much as you're buying the ceiling. Um, you know, but it worked out like on his offense. It worked out like I, I $2 Jock Peterson, $5 Mark Canha, um, $2 Ahmed Rosario. Like those are all super cheap guys who are going to even Peterson, who is, is a platoon. Like those, they're all going to be worth more than that. And so I think like, you know, in a 12 team league, you can still find guys for super cheap that are going to be better than what you have to pay them at the, even at the bottom of the barrel. Um, but to your point, like, is there better value to be had in the middle? That's just, I, I don't think that's a, a yes or no question. I yeah, think that, exactly. you know, there, there's, there's risk there too. All right. All in all though, I think, you know, Cup had a, a pretty strong auction. Um, less impressed with the supplemental. Do like the Travis Shaw pick. There's no risk there and on all upside. Um, he kind of took some shots on some, you know, Andrew Miller, Hunter Harvey, Tony Watson, Oberg, mostly guys who are kind of, besides Watson, he could get the job out of camp, but other guys, it looks like just kind of closers and waiting or not even in waiting, but just kind of closers. If someone in from in front of them falters. So yeah. see what he's doing there and uh, trying to get out ahead of it, as opposed to having to fight someone on midnight madness when there is a closer change, we're going to move on to Decker who he also was on brand in that he sticks with his guys, you know, Goldschmidt, Springer, Benintendi, even Mazzara, Andujar, like those are just Decker staples. And so wasn't surprised to see uh, him go after those guys on offense. I noticed something really interesting about pitching uh, beyond the obvious that he just leaned into closers. But I want to let you comment on his team first, and and then we'll see if we're kind of on the same page. Uh, What stands out to you about Deck's team? Yeah, you said it. It's it's all relieving. He he made it public, so it wasn't a secret. Him and Eli and maybe uh, Boots were having their own conversations during closer auctions, and it's all good. I I see where they're coming from. I don't obviously uh, subscribe to it, but I I can see how it works. Um, I kept reminding him there is a Ken rule here and that there is a innings minimum that he's not looking like he's going to meet every week. Uh, and I thought he was going to go strong on the sup. Um, I'm looking at it right now. And where is it? He picked up some decent names that I know of, but I thought he would go six inning eater kind of guys in the sup, which I didn't do. Um, I, he doubled down. Ross Stripling, Tony Gonsolin, Dylan Batances, all presumably relievers. Yeah. Exactly. Right? So, so, I, mean, he's, I mean, is Stripling a reliever this year? Well, he doesn't. I don't think he has a fortified uh, spot in that rotation. Yeah. The Dodgers just too deep. So, I think he'll be that swingman type yeah. of spot starter slash reliever. Hamels is hurt. I, right? I don't know. I don't know how they'll use him. I think Hamels is hurt. I don't know if he's supposed to be back in time for opening day. And I've been on the Matt's wagon before, so I know how that will turn out. Um, I, I did not love Goldschmidt at thirty-eight or Springer at forty or Benintendi at thirty but I'm not going to hate on him. Um, like he had a lot of money like me. So we were going to just find the guys we want and then pay what we needed to. Um, but I didn't, I didn't love those values there. I did like Namar Mazzara for $4 and Malik Smith for two. 
Um, thought those are solid values. And I, I had Mazzara as a post type sleeper that, that could become a keeper. So I like that one. Yeah. Mazzara was someone who I wasn't, I've soured on a bit. Um, but I feel like there is going to be a year where it happens and I don't know when that year will be. So he was someone who I would have taken at the end of the supplemental for like, try to get that like five or $7 contract, like just in case. But so, but don't buy him for four bucks. Yeah, I agree with that. Andrew Hart, if he gets the playing time, like there's, 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 um, you know, for four bucks at his age is unlikely to come to fruition as a keeper on that contract, but he played hurt last year. Um, even if he steals 15 or 20, like that's a lot in today's game, as we've discussed, um, should hit for high batting average, should lead off, score a lot of runs. Like he's someone who, for someone who went for 32 bucks last year to get him for four, I mean, the sky hasn't completely fallen on that guy. So I think that was a good buy. But I, I think my least favorite uh, by a mile is Andrew Benintendi yeah, yeah. for 30. And like there's – anytime we give someone a hard time for buying someone for a lot of money, there's someone else in the room who went 29. Right, right. So, I mean, I don't – like there was a market for him, right? So I don't know who else that was. Uh, I just – like – and there's a path to Benintendi being worth that, right? He's supposed to lead off now. He still has Devers and JD Martinez and some good hitters behind him. He could be a 300 hitter who goes, you know, 20, 20 with a hundred runs. Like he can have a good year. Um, but I think that you're in this case for 30 bucks, like you're paying for that like top level year out of Benintendi. That is, is not the median projection. Right? It's not the 50th percentile outcome. It's like the 80th there or, or 90th percentile outcome. So a uh, little rich for my blood there. You brought uh, up a good point, all actually, all. about the Go the uh, supplemental values. I forgot about it, and then I forgot about it again until you just said it now. <laughs> so Mazar being <laughs> and, oh, yeah, that would have been amazing. Um, uh, but, yeah, I forgot. I thought those were all 15. And then um, on on you said there's always someone on the, uh, bidding them up. So there is a market, unless it was Eli or Cup, and just – just just raising the prices <laughs> quite possibly but that's that's some ballsy price enforcement if you don't believe in him at all and you're going to be yeah. willing to maybe get caught at 29 like i'll throw in a few bucks here or there on a guy that i maybe don't want but wouldn't be mad if i got yeah. uh, i would i would have never gone that high on benintendi but again like there is he was a, like a second rounder like a year or two ago so I mean, there's a path for it it's just it's not my not my guy yeah um but here's something interesting about the pitching is so he his rotation is Kluber Jose Kitty, Hamels who's hurt and Mats and to your point he's got to find his way to 35 innings right he's got Osuna Chapman Hader and Giles he's got Jose Leclerc who's starting pitcher eligible so he's got those five closers uh, Dustin May. Now I don't know if he's going to start in Triple A just because the Dodgers have so many pitchers. He shouldn't be in the rotation, I wouldn't think, but he's starting pitcher eligible, so he can fit into his lineup even if he's a reliever. Um, where else is his supplemental here? Uh, Stripling, starting pitcher eligible, might be a reliever. Tony Gonzalez, probably a reliever, starting pitcher eligible. So he could have like eight or nine relievers, giving him two to three innings each, meaning that he could get to. You know, what is that, 16 to 20-plus innings out of his relievers? And he only needs a few starters to get to 35. So I think that he was doing more than just leaning into those closers. I think that he was going balls out on the relievers to try to get ratios and then only have to throw a couple starters a week to get to that limit. 
it's risky because if one guy gets blown up and has that, you know, four run inning in the seventh, um, you know, you can shit on your ratios and it's going to be tough to win K's and even wins. Um, but he'll have saves locked up and he should have strong uh, ERA whip K to walk every week because he is throwing uh, effectively seven or eight relievers out there. So I think that there was a little more to his strategy than he let on, unless it's totally coincidence that he got so many starting pitching eligible relievers but it looks like he's up to something there. Did you happen to notice that? I didn't notice that, but you did bring on the right guest for this topic um, as the OG relief guy. Uh, <laughs> I've thought about that many times. So can I get nine? Can I get nine relievers into the starting lineup and have one or two starters? Um, but yeah, let's say we get he's able to do it. I think that strategy is only viable if you're able to save some money there and spend it on the offense. So you're going, if you're assuming four, two and pitching every week, uh, you're also, you probably need two strong starters there. Uh, maybe they will fuck up your, your ratios. Um, but if, and if you don't have a very, very good offense, it's going to be a, it's going to be a tough year. Yeah. I, so the, the obnoxious Bobby Sylvester of fantasy pros calls this the Marmol plan or the Marmol strategy. He actually has written articles about basically exactly this. And it's loading up on the relievers, get a couple starters who have good ratios. Um, but to that point, like you have to save the money to be able to, to bully the offense. And just a quick sum here of his, the nine pitchers he bought or kept 73 bucks. So that's like about what most people spend on pitching. Right. Anyway. So there wasn't really a, a discount, you know, maybe, Instead of Chapman and Osuna, if he was able to find a couple other cheaper guys who are, you know, maybe a little less big name and, and a little, but, but equally safe. I don't know. That's easier said than done. But nonetheless, for a guy who, you know, the snap reaction was he's not even going to make the innings limit to, well, wait a minute, like something's happening here. Maybe, maybe it doesn't work, but he's doing something that. Uh, hasn't been done in many years since we had to change the rules thanks to, to the Ken rule. So <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, we'll, we'll see if uh, we'll see if, if it works for him. Any other thoughts on Deke's team? No. Cool. Uh, well, moving over to his uh, his his dress, bitch. Nick <laughs> looked really good last night in that little red dress. Um, what are we looking at here? Um, I thought he had a strong showing. Not. Not the, not referring to the bulge in his dress, but rather his, his <laughs> auction team. How did you think he did yesterday? Let's see here. I thought he was he was concentrated. I thought he did pretty good. Um, I'll say I didn't love his keepers, but he had he has uh, he has Judge, of course, and uh, who was the other guy here? Oh, Vladdy. So I did like his keepers. Um, he had one of my favorite buys last year in Trevor's story at thirty two. And he had one of my favorite buys this year with Verlander at 41. Um, Zach Wheeler at 13 is nice. Uh, and um, Kingry at 10. So overall, I liked it. Um, let's see if he can keep managing it throughout the year, though. But yeah, strong, strong start. Yeah, I agreed about story last year. I remember when he was being bought. and It was just one of those points where I couldn't do anything about it. I was looking around in my backyard like, what is happening <laughs> yeah. here? And Verlander kind of similar. I mean, I thought he would have, you know, I, I didn't think he would go over 50 or anything, but he definitely got a nice discount there. Um, overall, a, a strong showing. Like this is the third year in a row. I think that 
he's come out of the draft with with one of the better teams. Um, but it, the story, uh, as has you know, I've said, you just said, and, and others uh, who have been on the podcast, is just about his in-season management because um, it's impossible to draft the championship team. He consistently puts himself in a good position come March, uh, but he'll have to do the right things in season as far as trades and stuff to 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 stay out in front. Is he really is? I really mean mean this. I think he's one of the better drafters in the league. He always uh, puts forward a good team coming out. Um, he's just got to figure a way to kind of keep it going and improve upon it. Uh, I think he has a good blend of stability versus upside, you know, on his team. Um, I, I think that, you know, if there's, if there's anything that he can criticize is, is he left, uh, looks like 19 bucks on the table. Yeah. That was kind of a trend, you know, demand left 12, I left 10, Eli left seven boots left six and just bounced around. I mean, there was, there was some money left out there. So he probably could have done a little bit more, but overall I liked a lot of his, his buys. Um, one of them at the very end there, I thought Chris Archer for a couple bucks. He's someone that I would have liked an end game dart uh, with him. He'd made some changes to his uh, pitch mix at the end of uh, this last couple months of last year and didn't really help his ERA and stuff, but it, it helped everything else, K's and walks and all that should lead to maybe a, 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 I don't know if he'll return to the, the kind of frontline guy he was four or five years ago, but I think he could be a pretty good pitcher. Um, the one guy I'm a little bit wary of is Danny Santana. And, you know, he wasn't a lot of money and he plays like five positions uh, and was 2020 last year. So it's kind of hard to shit on a guy uh, with all of that context, but he's not the best real life player. And I, I wonder if, if he's like, you know, floating along as a zero replacement level type guy, zero warp guy, um, maybe the Rangers to see him as a super utility guy and, and he plays often, but not every day. Um, in which case, you know, he, he could be a decent player, especially because of the positional flexibility, but but not um, a great fantasy player. Last year might have been the high watermark. But just between him and Kingery, having two guys who literally play like every position uh, awards him immense flexibility. Uh, so if guys get hurt, he can move guys around. Um, if he likes someone on the waiver wire, he can pick them up and know that he can shovel his roster in a way that can make make room for that person. Um, so I think all in all, like the, the team looks, looks really good. I also like talking about cheap keepers, uh, uh, closers. I like Joe Jimenez at $3. Um, Paul DeJong at two was good. And I, I think I may need to talk to him about a trade for one of those, uh, utility guys. Cause I, or not utility, but, um, playing everywhere. Um, cause I got yeah. two utility guys in Otani and Chris Davis. So I might need to make a trade there with them. Oh yeah. You're locked up. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Those uh, I, I put a little bit of a premium on positional flexibility myself this year, but yeah, he he went overboard with those two guys. But again, it's gonna it's gonna help him out for sure. And the saves, I mean, he he did grab a lot of saves for a total of eleven dollars and a couple supplemental picks. So then Maris, Jimenez, and Kennedy, you know, there was eleven bucks for for three closers there, and then he grabbed Wade Davis and. Um, potentially two others and Will Smith and Matt McGill. So um, he really bullied the saves category without spending a lot of money at all. And of course there's, you know, any of those guys are, there's a reason they're so cheap and they could lose their jobs come come May 1st, but uh, all in all uh, to, to get that level of, of save production out of the draft for pretty minimal investment was, I thought it's pretty good, uh, pretty good yeah, job there. All right. So looking over at Ferd squad, um, how do you think Ferd did yesterday, Kent? Let's see here. 
Bird came in with not a lot of money, so I didn't hear much from him unless it was correct from a little bit of uh, complaining on the auctioneer. But I don't see any, <laughs> I don't see any big mistakes. Um, and yeah, he didn't have any big buys. Uh, my favorite though, and one of my favorite of the draft was Justin Turner at ten dollars. So that that one kind of snuck by people. I was surprised that Fran Mill raised at 24, but I don't know much about Fran Mill Reyes, So looking back on it, I was like, oh, okay. It's a little more than, uh, than the list set that I was looking at says, but um, not too much more. So no, no, no hate there. I was 23 on Fran. I know you, so I know no you nominated him too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ferg came in well-prepared and calculated as he always does. I thought he did a really nice job with the little money to that point that you made. Like he went out and got some guys he wanted, including friend mill Mercado, somebody he had to pay a little bit for Frankie Montas. Um, but he put together a, a really strong team. Uh, friend mill. I'll say he was, I'll say he was my favorite buy. Cause I was the one willing to go 23. I mean, I don't know the, how much values there, you know, I don't know that he'll end up being a keeper at that price, but I think that he's due for a major step forward and a really big year. I almost took him when I auctioned uh, Ken Giles, I, I just barely opted for a uh, $3 Kyle Tucker over Fran Mill, who was $5 that Boots had. Um, Cause I thought Fran Mill, I knew Ferd really liked them, but I thought I could get them and, and it would be a little cheaper than that. So that's a hindsight being 2020 there. Uh, the, the buy that I, and this is a hard one to even be critical of because it's a dollar. Um, but Aristides Aquino from Cincinnati, I like the skills a lot and you can't go wrong at a dollar, but that's just such a crowded outfield between not just him, but you have Winker, Shogo Akiyama, who they brought in from Japan, probably not to sit on the bench. Senzel, who, if he's healthy, they'll want to find spots for him. They brought in Castellanos as a free agent. So, I just don't know where the at-bats are going to come from. So if he gets a, sh a chance, I, I like him a lot, but I think that could be a frustrating own just because mm -hmm. he's a little bit buried on the depth chart. But I mean, I think that the fact that that's my least favorite buy, uh, if, if that's the criticism is a $1 guy who's really skilled, who just doesn't quite have a path to playing time. I think that's a testament to a, a pretty good draft. Yeah, yeah. If, if that's the, you know, where I have to pick him apart. Uh, he might've snagged a couple closers for $3 and Kinsler and, and Mark Melanson. So uh, for someone who was, I think, probably coming into it more or less punting saves to maybe get a couple, um, I thought it was a pretty good job there. And then his supplemental, um, I thought that was really nice. Caleb Smith is, is a solid starting pitcher to grab there. Grabbed a couple other guys there. Ryan Mountcastle down in like the $7 round. So a Baltimore prospect who, if he gets up and breaks out, like that's a reasonable, I think he was the AAA MVP last year. Mm -hmm. So that that would be a that was the right time to take him. So I thought Ferd uh, came in with a plan and, and I would have to talk to him about it, but I would Im imagine it went um, about how he expected it. To yeah. Be. I mean, he started with three solid pitchers, stud pitchers and added on a couple of medium guys and a lot of cheap guys. So yeah, he was able to do a lot with a little. Yeah. And the Paxton one, like, I mean, for nine bucks, so he, he's, he's ahead of schedule and, it's probably this injury stint probably the first of maybe one or two more because he's always seemingly hurt, but super kind of high upside guy that for nine bucks, you throw him on the DL and, you know, you survive for a month without him and then he'll have himself a really good pitcher. That's his number four. So um, yeah, I thought he did a really nice job there. Uh, Turner, he was, it was kind of between him and JD Davis for my third baseman and Turner went first and I, um, I I was in there a little bit, but I agree with you. I think that was a pretty good buy there. I think that he 
he gets a lot of flack for missing a lot of games. But as we've spoken before on this pod is like, if a guy is missing games because he's on the DL, you're not taking a zero. Right, like, right. Yeah. You got to pick, you got to pick up a third baseman and it won't be great for a few weeks, but you add those stats onto the 500 at bats of Justin Turner and you have a really good player. So as long as it's not happening in September, um, you know, there's little pockets of value to be had there. And Turner's one of those players. So and he did go after a door. I was joking that I was not going to be able to break up with him, but I did officially break <laughs> up with Rudin door this year. I could not do it again. So we'll see if this is the year he puts it together. Any other final comments on first? No, we're good. Cool. Moving on to the host, Sean, who came in, in my opinion, as a preseason favorite with that strong, strong batch of keepers. How do you think that he did? Sean was on his game. Um, like you, he usually got his head down, uh, keeping track of everything, and he literally was keeping track of things here. Um, I liked his Keston Weira pick. Uh, that was my most frustrating um, or biggest regret of my draft. I had him on my team, penciled in, and I guess what makes me feel a little better is that I, I think 28 was my – limit and he hit he went there first um but talking to him after he's like he would have gone 35 and Eli's like I would have gone 40 if I could um so I guess that makes me regret it like I missed out on a stud but he got him fair and square um he's he's very happy with Puig at three um I liked Voight a lot but at 10 I wasn't in love with that but I, I think Voight will be great this year uh and then I like his pitching so Frankie's a little high, sells a little low, but yeah, them together, that's a strong, strong uh, anchor to the staff. Yeah, uh, as usual, a great mix of fair price studs and cheap upside, showing again why he's one of, if not the best manager in the league. Um, to recap, I'll touch some of the guys that you touched on. I like Keston Hero a lot. I traded for him last year uh, in midseason. Um, he had a good year. He strikes out a lot. That's the one thing. So he's a really good hitter, and he hits missiles all over the park. I think that might make people kind of forget he struck out, like, I think 30% of the time. But he's a a great player. UCI guy, by the way, local kid. Um, Someone who – I didn't didn't go $20 for a single player, so obviously I wasn't in on him. Um, But someone who I think is – I agree with you, is a really good good player. Um, Puig – Three bucks, interesting one. Like if he gets a team, that's could be to buy the auction, but it's it's running out out there. Like there's not a lot of teams rumored to be in on him, and the ones who are are in on him in a sense that like do they even need him? Like would he? Like someone said Colorado, which I think that's crazy because they have like four or five outfielders. Uh, if he gets signed, you know, it could be a great buy. But he, I think he honestly could end up playing in Japan. I'm putting wow. that on the record. I put on record people might probably shit on me when he signs with like Colorado on Tuesday, but um, this is crazy for him not to have a team yet. I, I think there's something to that. Um, yeah, and do you, you know, have any, three bucks, who cares? Do you have any insight on why he's on a team besides just, he is a weird character. I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that a lot of teams see him as like, he, he could be a really, really good player. But if you look at his track record, he's, I mean, since he like broke out a handful of years ago, he hasn't been like a star. Yeah. Like, so it's like, well, why why do we want to take on this guy who is from in most case, you know, clubhouses viewed as a cancer, who's not that great, who 
getting older and probably a little slower in the outfield and like wants to get paid, you know, when I don't know what he's asking for, but it's like the people that just don't need him. Yeah, like yeah. there's, there's truly not really a mark. Like the fact that Cleveland went out and got Domingo Santana instead of bringing Queen back, I thought said a mm. lot because they, they needed him more than anybody. Let me ask you this. So uh, if he were on a team, what would he have gone for? Uh, if he were on a team, I would have gone at least 15 bucks for him. Okay. Okay. Uh, that, and so the way I was viewing him was basically looking at like I'll pay for half a production, half a season of Puig, and half a season of replacement of like replacement level. Uh, basically saying there's a fifty percent chance he gets a team. Maybe that's too low, but at this point, I don't know. Like I don't know what's out there, and and maybe someone throws like a minor league deal at him, but then and he has to earn his playing time. Like maybe a, a good team picks him up as a fourth outfielder. I don't know. Or maybe, like, I don't know, maybe the White Sox say come play left field and they sign up tomorrow. But uh, I, I don't think there's any risk in that purchase. But right. I just don't think that, that that there's a lock that he's even really going to get a shot. Um, and then you mentioned Luke Voigt. If I didn't get uh, – I was basically Christian Walker or Luke Voigt. If I wanted for first base, I had Voigt last year. I think the injury really took him down. I agree. I think he's in for a, a really good season. The only potential downfall is just how super crowded that lineup yeah. is. Um, there's a lot of guys that can take at bats, so he's got to be on his game. On the pitching side, I agree. Sale was pretty cheap. I can understand why there was some apprehension there. I think he's he's going to start the year on the DL. Granky a little high for my my taste too. Uh, it just like he's got super moxie and he makes he's super smart and throws the right pitches and the right count and he's a good pitcher. But he's his velocity is going down. Like it just seems like father time is ticking on him. So we'll see. Um, and then the last one I liked was Avisel Garcia, uh, someone who kind of a stat cast darling. He is like really, really fast, even though he doesn't steal bases yet. But Milwaukee, I was looking, Milwaukee is like, like has like 42% more stolen base attempts than the second highest team since, uh, what's mm -hmm. his name? So if he's going to run anywhere, it should be there. And he could be like a 2010 guy or 2015 but I do know there's also a little bit of a playing time crunch there because I think they want to platoon on and play some first. They have just so hmm. a lot, but I was just a little bit worried about the playing time. Um, overall, I think that he comes out of this though as the team to beat in 2020. I mean, he had a, a huge head start with the keepers and he went out and had a great auction too. So no surprises there uh, to see Sean as one of the front runners as we uh, approach opening day here. Hmm. And then we had our auctioneer, Demand, plenty to say about this guy. I'm gonna let you lead off. <laughs> I mean, I'll, again, I'm gonna lead off with the respect I have for someone that does a draft and acts as the auctioneer. Um, let's add on how lit he gets every year, and then let's add on that he does it by memory. So <laughs> that is a hell of a job that he did. Um, I, I think he's just anchored by the fantastic uh, keepers he had um, but what going by memory it can lead to leaving too much on the table and it can lead to nominating Vince Velasquez so uh, while I think he has a decent <laughs> he has a insane offense he has a equally bad pitching staff um, I can't I like Brendan McKay at two dollars and then I'll stop there um, uh, which he traded for, he traded for Forrest Whitley. Oh, okay, okay. 
aka Forrest Whitaker. Yeah. <laughs> um, Someone kept saying that. Yeah. Probably. Not. I I don't have any comments <laughs> on the rest of his pitchers. Like I I I know the names. I don't know how good they are, and I think that says something. But um, I had Vince Velasquez, even though at one dollar is probably one of the worst buys of the draft. Um, that's probably a panic nomination. Um, but yeah, his his offense, like he said, holy shit. Um, even having two catchers, those were decent values at thirteen. So we'll see how uh, a non-pitching staff team can do. Our comments are in lops, uh, lockstep here. Uh, it's almost as if you read the few bullet points <laughs> I put down. Uh, I said, insane offense, truly horrific rotation. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, but to your point, like, yeah, he, he, he does uh, – he, all, all the knowledge in the world yeah. like, about baseball – no preparation. He's got actual baseball knowledge. I think the man would go toe to toe, if not beat anybody in the league. I mean, because not just a fantasy related, but he's he bets on a lot of games, so he knows all the bullpens. Like he knows as much or more about baseball than anybody. But you know, he he doesn't do a lot of prep. He doesn't do any preparation mm-hmm. for this mm-hmm. draft. Um, you know, it's been four or five years since you set up with more than a cell phone, and I've I've had no problem with that. Like he's a guy who he. If he tried to, or, or at least be up there in the finals, like every year, um, if he tried, it, it's it's a hobby to him. If he was really trying to staff like this one, I probably would feel bad about you know talking <laughs> shit. Um, but but I know that like you know he's out there just gunning from the hip, and 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 because his keepers were so good, I mean he still has a good team. He just needs to rebalance it. Yeah. Like you know he. What, what's to stop him from taking Bryce Harper off of a, an incredibly loaded offensive team and go getting two really good starting pitchers out of that? All of a sudden, things start to take shape. So he's fine. Uh, you know, two buzz balls, two catchers. That was his first. <laughs> um, I think that it's kind of interesting because I think that my favorite buys on his team are maybe Romuto and Sanchez, and my least favorite buys are Romuto and Sanchez. <laughs> <laughs> like, I think that he like, they're they're both good values. The problem is. I mean, he'll be able to trade one, presumably for a pitcher, but he he's, doesn't have a lot of leverage because half the league has catchers that they paid, you know, at least five, six, yeah. seven bucks for more, and, are, and they'll be in good shape. Um, and then there's a few who didn't pay a lot, but who, like, you know, Sean only paid a few bucks for uh, Wilson Contreras, but it, he had a really good year last year. Is he going to want to, you know, cut Wilson Contreras and give up a pitcher to upgrade to Gary Sanchez? I don't know. You have to ask him, but... I don't know that the man has a ton of leverage in trying to deal one of those guys. So he might have to wait and, you know, see if someone gets injured or something. But, you know, uh, I will say the the supplemental draft is where he seems to go really <laughs> downhill. And uh, he got Joey Lucchese in the first round. Um, and it was just terrible after that. But so uh, I think that, um, you know, as I said, if he ever really wanted to, he could, he could be in the finals you know, year over year. Um, but you know he he has some work to kind of rebalance uh, the the mess he made yesterday on the yeah. pitching side. Actually, of the house. Yeah, one more is I like I thought Reese Hoskins at thirteen was one of my favorite buys of the draft. Like he's he was kind of hyped and had not a, a totally a great year last year, but I love the post hype and uh, thirteen is not bad. Um, yeah. yeah, and yeah. to your point, like like if he did research that we feel bad about his pitching shitting on his pitching but 
he on a couple of occasions kind of whispered over to people was like I, I love fantasy baseball and I want to win, but I'm not going to spend as much or so much time as others to prep. But, but at the same time, he spends more time on baseball, like you said, than anyone here. So maybe he's not prepping for auction dollars, but he's prepped 365 out of the year. Yeah. Well, it, it, when you're betting 500 or a thousand bucks every game, like, yeah, you're gonna put more time into that than, than, Right, right. baseball roster. <laughs> um, but even, I mean, he's got a couple pieces. Sonny Gray, Mike Miner, like guys had good years last year who were cheap, and like he's got some pieces there. McCullers only going to get 120 innings, but you know, there's something there. He just needs to reshuffle the cards a little bit. Uh, overall, I mean, when you look at just the total value of all the assets he has, he still has one of the better teams. Just got to kind of reshape it a little bit. All right. Well, I, I think you're gonna. Get, be pretty brutal on me here. I'm up next, and you already <laughs> let off the top of the show saying that the <laughs> team sucks. So. <laughs> so, What's going on here? Yeah, I, I don't love it, man. Um, you got yeah, like you said, you got you <laughs> had eleven dollars on or ten dollars left on the table. Um, you were not at your A game, like you said, and I, I don't think it's like a trash team or anything. There's just a handful that I didn't like, and then there were some names that I didn't know. So maybe I'm off there. But Cave uh, and Vigio uh, jumps out at me at $17. I think there was a, a bidding war there as well. Um, and then uh, Joe Musgrove at 18 jumps out at me as too much. And there was a bidding war, and I was the other guy. So I think if I won at 17, I probably would have regretted it, to be honest. Um, and then, uh, But I did like some. like so Luke Weaver at three was another guy I was looking at. I, I let you have him um zach gallon at nine I, I like a lot and then uh some of the others like i said i don't i don't know them as well so i don't like the draft overall i feel that and um I'll, I'll tell you my my approach was to target the middle tier knowing that i didn't have a ton of money and that i thought there was going to be a lot of inflation and also to kind of restock for for not just to try to get some players that are going to be good this year, but also a lot of keeper options. You know, Mike Trout will be, uh, he's an A contract, J.D. Martinez an A contract. So not to say that I'm playing for 2021, I'm not, but I wanted to give myself a lot of options and know that some of them will pop and some of them won't and, and try to like stockpile upside on good deals and know that, you know, for every $6 Christian Walker that might break out, there's a $6 J.D. Davis that won't, but I won't be, a, I won't be, uh, I'm not pot committed to right. any of these guys, right? Because they're all like that mid-range. It worked out for me really well a few years ago. There was like a year where I went like $8 Will Myers and $8 Chris Davis and like a bunch of guys in that range that were just right there teetering on breakouts. There was probably some other $8 guys I got that year that sucked and are gone and that's why I forgot about them. But some, if enough of them work, it can work out pretty well. So that's what I was going for. Like, you know, there's JD Davis, for example, I would have done backflips a week ago to get him at six bucks. He has kind of a shoulder injury. Now the Mets are saying it's not serious, but it's the Mets. So he might yeah. be out for the year. Who knows? But like him, Walker, uh, Brandon Lau, like even Grisham, like these are all guys who there's something in them. I, I see that I like a lot and they won't all work out, but hopefully a couple of them do. Uh, even BGO is someone who I think it could be a 2020 type guy. Um, I really put a lot of, I don't say a lot of value into, but I, I, I kind of highlighted guys with some positional flexibility, knowing that 
there's going to be some shuffling and that when I have to replace some of these guys who don't pan out, I want to be able to, to move folks around. So there's a lot of flexibility on the team. Um, for the most part, I got who I wanted. Like this is, I don't look at this roster and say, Oh, what happened? Like the, with the exception of, I would have liked a better fifth outfielder instead of mm -hmm. Trent Grisham. And that's when you and I got in a bidding war for Chris Davis. I thought I could get him for like 15 and I couldn't. He went up to like 20 bucks. And so that's the one spot that I'm like, oh, I wish I did a little better there. Um, and the 10 bucks I left on the table, you know, maybe you could have repurposed that, to, that, that 10 bucks plus a few more from somewhere else, maybe got me like a Gary Sanchez or something that catcher. But this was really actually the team I was, I was kind of looking to walk away with um, a lot of kind of mid tier pitching like Musgrove. Yeah. He went for more than I wanted but not for more than I think he's worth. Like he, I feel about Musgrove coming into this year the same way I did about Bieber last year. He's a guy who I thought I would get cheaper and you beat me out for him and he paid the big dividends. I think Musgrove could be uh, ready to take a, pre a pretty big step yeah, forward. Yeah, I wanted, so, I wanted Musgrove pretty bad. Obviously, that's why we were going after each other. And, and Bieber is the perfect comp. Like I, I was thinking about him the same way and they kind of ended up at the same price. Um, and... I also I, I can see why you have him and Biggio at those prices. Like if you have them penciled in and you have some money, you're willing to go a little higher than you you maybe should have, and that's okay. Um, and then, yeah, like the Chris Davis auction was pretty late in the game, if I remember correctly. So like if you lose out on one of those yeah. later, that you're gonna have money left over at the end of the day. Yeah. And, and I started to redistribute that. And like, you know, when I threw out Carlos Martinez, like I was ready to pay 10 bucks for him and he went for one, like there's the $10 yeah. right there. It, for some reason it went crickets. Like, yeah, people don't like it, one. I guess, but I was like, I was ready to pay for him. And it, it was important to me too. Also, I wanted to kind of control the end game because there's some guys I just wanted to make sure I got kind of near the end there. Um, you know, I definitely, uh, I like the, I like the Rojas by like, he's one of, uh, He's a Diamondbacks player who major power, speed, slash plate discipline, like really good former Astros guy who, who tore up the minors there and with Arizona. Didn't do too great in his cup of coffee last year, but a lot of guys don't. I think he's he could start the year in AAA. He might start the year as a super utility, but I think he's going to find his way in there. Like the, there's, some, there's some players I'm excited about. I was excited to get cheap. And then um, in the supplemental, you know, I had to go double tap hitting uh, with CJ Crone and, and Ian Hat right off the bat because I do have two presumably minor league players in Rojas and Kellenic so I had to actually fill out my lineup and then just took a couple shots at the end on Alec Baum and Dylan Carlson who are also prospects who probably don't break camp with the big league team but I figured let's roster them now and they're on pretty cheap contracts and if even one of them you know breaks camp with the team or if there's an indication that they're going to do the Chris Bryant thing and pull them up like mid April, then I'll hang on to those guys and might get a pretty good player on a cheap contract. Um, but at worst case, you know, I'm not going to carry four mm -hmm. minor leaguers uh, on the roster. So it was kind of, I thought that was like a low risk, give it a few more weeks to play out. And then if not, then I'll replace those guys with, with some major leaguers. So, you know, all in all, I can understand like the not loving the team because it, it's, my my most expensive buy was Musgrove at 18 and my second most was BGO at 17. <laughs> so there's nothing, there's nothing in there that's going to jump out and go like, wow, they got all these good players. I get it. But uh, I like the players I got. And like I said, if, if it, if it's, 
if the season doesn't go as planned, it's not because the auction didn't go as planned. It's because I went in with a plan that right, wasn't right. any good. So that's, I'll, I'll that's say, I, I do we'll like see. Ian Happ a lot in the supplemental. Um, looking at your staff a little more, like I said, I like Weaver. Uh, Soroka at six is probably pretty good too. Um, and so uh, just keeping in mind the M War and the Pitch Witch uh, with those names, those specific names, I think they could pan out in – if I had a gun to my head, I'd say that's a playoff team at the end of the day. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. There's definitely some ammunition to make it a playoff team, at least two. So, like, you know, Kellenek is like one of – he could be the top two or three prospect in baseball this time next year and may even come up this year. So he's another one of those guys that, like, I wanted to have a few bucks at the end in case a Keith or since he's a Mariner, perhaps Sean or someone was going to get into a war. I was going to go five bucks or so for him. So, um leaving a few bucks on the table is something that happens. You hate to see it, but if it means you get the guys you want, then um, at the end of the day, I guess I'll I'll take that. So, all right. So speaking of prospect guys, Keith on brand as usual prospects Mm -hmm. galore. Uh, Do you you think he overdid it? How do you like the shape of this? Like you said, if we just, if we just blacked out the names, we would have known Keith, this was Keith's team. Um, yeah, he got. <laughs> it's hard to say because the name, the ones he got, they are good and they are supposed to be very great. good. Um, but I do think he did overdid it, um, especially with Luis Roberts. Uh, that jumps out to me as a worst buy of the draft at thirty dollars. Uh, he's penciled in with the AP as rookie of the year already, but like. Keeping in mind, uh, Akuna went for twenty, I think. Um, so it's like yeah. thirty dollars. That's that's Machado money. <laughs> like that's that's pretty expensive. So he's got to be more than just rookie of the year. He's got to be an MVP candidate. Um, Joe Adele. I don't know when he's coming up. But I I think I read it's this year. So seven, I'm okay with. Um, I did like Grichuk at one, kind of a post type kind of guy. I liked Correa at nineteen a lot. Um, kind of looking at his peers, like people keep talking about he, he misses time and going back to what we talked about, like if you have a replacement for him, it's okay that he misses time as long as he's there in October, September. Um, so Correa at 19 is one of my favorites. Um, Carlos Carrasco was actually one of my favorites at 15 as well. So, okay, Mackenzie Gore, another great prospect, but too many prospects, I'd say. And so I, I I think he did overdo it, even though he has um, some great buys mixed in. I'd give him an average draft grade there. We're in sync on this one Um, again. So prospects galore, uh, where to begin? So Luis Robert, I mean, I I think that I would have gone, you know, 20 for him. Um, But I think that this was the Acuna tax. Yeah, I think. Anyone, you know, I was I was the one who went 19 on Acuna. Trust me, there was part of that in the back of my mind, thinking about Luis Robert. Like, do I want to miss on this guy? Because I fucked up that <laughs> one. Um, but there's just too many. He has the 30-30 type raw tools, but I think there's going to be a learning curve here. And it's going to be tough to see him being a $30 player. Um, Joe Adele, he won't break camp with the team, but I think he'll be up at some point this year. I just don't know if they're going to, again, the Chris Bryant treatment, is he going to be up on tax day in April or is he going to be up in, in July or August? I, I don't know. Um, 
supposed to be a good player. Wander Franco, I don't see coming up this year, but is supposed to be a, a generational type of talent. So while I wouldn't have gone eight bucks, obviously, because uh, I, I think it's too much of a hindrance for 2020. Um, I think that, you know, to your point, like the guys he bought are really, really good. Mackenzie Gore, I think, is the top pitching prospect in baseball. And the, the Padres broke camp with Paddock last year. So maybe Mackenzie Gore is up early. Like there's a lot of good guys there. Nate Pearson is supposed to be really good. Um, but he is going to have to keep it afloat because I don't think – I think he did just enough in the supplemental to basically feel the full team. Uh, but he basically has no bench because of, of all these uh, uh, minor league guys, including Andrew Vaughn and, and Adley Rutschman in the supplemental. So it's just a, a ton of a ton of young guys. So not to be surprised there as far as that's you know keeps mo. Um, the call up timelines just are going to play a huge role in this 2020 success. Like if Adele and Gore and Pearson and, and those guys don't show up at all until late summer, I mean that's that's tough to hold those guys. Um, I agree with you about Carlos Carrasco. Probably my favorite buy on his team. He's someone I definitely was looking at and. Of course, if I could redistribute my money in hindsight, I would have found a way to get him on that pitching staff of mine um, since I had the money left over. I think that, you know, he's he's a good pitcher and he kind of fell by the wayside last year dealing with the leukemia and all that. But he's uh, I think he'll return a nice a nice return on that investment. Um, the last thing that I want to say, though, just because you mentioned Carlos Correa and I'll say this now since we're post stiffy is with the exception of, of Two, two Astros, the exception of two Astros, I was completely, completely out on those guys. And I, I wouldn't have paid more than $10 for Correa. I wouldn't have paid more than $20 for Altuve. I wouldn't have paid more than $20 or so for George Springer. I think those guys are in for a tough, tough year. Like these guys are human yeah. beings. And, you know, getting, getting booed by fans is one thing, but getting thrown at and getting just having it in your head that I might get thrown at. And and one thing that like, people aren't talking about a lot, we've talked about a little bit, is these guys are fucking pariahs in baseball. Like every time they're standing on first base, like where Albert Pujols used to chat them up and ask how the kids are, like they don't, they don't like these guys. Like it's pretty evident. Maybe it'll blow over, but it's pretty evident to me that people in baseball are fucking pissed. And the, that whole players fraternity, like these are, yeah, you're competing every day, but these are your friends and, and like, they seem to have lost the respect of the league and maybe I'm just a softie, but that would bother me. That would wear on me over time. Just being like hated everywhere I go by, not just the fans being heckled by reporters too, having the players like not even want to look me in the eye. I think it's going to be a tough year for these guys. And so from a skills perspective, you know, Korea 19, sure. But I, I was avoiding these guys like the plague with the exception of a couple guys who, who I maybe won't really wear the brunt of that. Uh, one being Kyle Tucker and the other being Jordan Alvarez, who we'll talk about when we get to uh, to Eli's team. Yeah, I'm going to back you on that. Like, I, I, I do like Correa at 19 because it's way cheaper than he should be. Um, but I was staying away from Astros as well. It's like exactly what you said. They're humans. And so where in the NBA or the NFL, you're kind of like my sanctuary is on the field. Baseball, there's just a lot of downtime and you're thinking and, and people are going to be booing. And like you said, the other players don't like them. So 162 games to go through that. It's the dog days of summer are going to be very dogged. And so to that point, going back to Decker's team, um, Springer at 40 was shocking to me. Um, but I, I completely agree with the Astros. 
Um, and we're going to talk about demand a little bit more later, but just going back to Carrasco, I do, again, I love that pick. And, and like you said, he's coming back from cancer and I just, I was just dying and maybe I was very high too, but I was no pun intended. I was dying when he was just like, Carlos Carrasco, is this guy alive? And he's like, Oh, I'm sorry. I'm being mean. And then like two seconds later, but really, is he alive? <laughs> <laughs> the man was on his game. <laughs> All right, Ken, I got a crying baby. We're going to take okay. a quick time out. We'll be back in a couple minutes. Okay. All right. Yo, yo. Yo, sorry about that. Everything good? Yeah, she just my, she just they got home, and she likes to break into my office. And when, she, when I wouldn't let her in, she freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we'll pick up where we left off, folks. Um, so we had just wrapped up Keith and you told the, uh, the man story, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, so moving on over to boots, um, if there's anyone unpredictable, I, I mentioned earlier that you can kind of predict the teams in advance boots, probably the most unpredictable, unorthodox of the bunch. How did you like the way his team came together? I kind of disagree. If we put a, if we put a, a tag over a, a sticker over his name. I kind of think I would have known that was him too. Um, all pitching and it's great pitching, but, and then, and on his offense, not so great. Um, some, some names that I know and I like Edmund. Um, I like, I actually think Votto at eight. Um, but then, uh, his pitching is studly. Um, he kind of started with studly keepers, but then he doubled down and just added on to it. Um, DeGrom at 50, I kind of think it was okay. But then when you see Verlander at 41, it's like, oh shit, he, he kind of overpaid. But then again, like we said before, if he's at 50, he's probably bidding with someone else. Um, maybe the worst buy of the draft, though, is Sean Murphy at 10. I still don't. I still don't know who that is, <laughs> uh, and he could have used that money elsewhere. That's for sure. So, uh, and he still had seven dollars. So I, he he could have had another strong player. Let's say we take out Sean Murphy and just enter a one there. He would have had another sixteen dollars and and another. He has. I don't know who Newman is. I'm assuming he's a prospect, but seventeen, eighteen dollars for another bat would go a long way. Almost Carlos Correa money right there. Yeah, exactly. Newman's a shortstop. But not that Pirates ever get him, but yeah. <laughs> you know what? Now that you pointed out that maybe maybe his team composition, maybe it is a little bit more predictable than – well, I wouldn't say predictable, but but he does kind of balance – you know, he finds his spots. He balances some of those cheap old guys uh, as well as taking shots on some of the unknowns. Um, you know, Joey Votto – Edwin Encarnacion, Justin Upton, all guys who are definitely on the other side of uh, their peak, but you know you could you could get good returns at those prices, and then he takes some shots on the Edmonds and the uh, the, the Kyle, uh, Kevin Newman, who who's a, a stolen base threat shortstop out of Pittsburgh, uh, Sutsugi or um definitely no one knows what to expect there. One of the Japanese imports from from the Rays, um, and Sam Hilliard, who's someone I want to talk about in a moment, but. I mean, he fortified the pitching. He did the same thing last year where he bought the Grom uh, despite having all of those good keepers. 
Um, I don't think we can give him much shit for paying. I, I think anyone who who says, "Oh, I know that Verlander was going to go for nine dollars less than Degrom," is full of shit. Um, right. They, yeah. Verlander was fifty dollars last year, won the Cy Young, and then all of a sudden goes for forty one. It just happens, like the, yeah. the, and that's so, why he's one of our best buys because he was forty one. Yeah, yeah. He he he's. If I would have known I could have got Verlander for forty one, I would have built a plan around that probably to get him. But in in, yeah. the, in the moment, I was like, no, I can't do this. It's gonna fucking throw everything you know so far off. I'll be scrambling for thirty minutes trying to put something back together. So, yeah, I agree about that being a great buy. But yeah, he he loves to to, to bully that pitching. The offense never really impresses at the draft. Um, but I think a few of those guys will hit. And I, I, I agree, first of all, that Sean Murphy was, I don't know what's going on there. I know he's like a catching prospect who's supposed to be able to hit pretty well um, for the A's, but uh, I don't, I don't know what took him to 10 bucks. I don't know who else was in there because, you know, you look around the league, there's plenty of other uh, solid catchers who are a bit more proven who went for half that mark. So, um, but I will say I love the Sam Hilliard pick. And he went for crickets. He's someone that my top two, like $1 guys were Rojas and Kellenic. And since I, Hilliard came out before that, and I didn't want to use a spot on him because I felt confident I can get my top two targets, but I love the Sam Hilliard pick. He's someone, he's a Colorado outfielder for those who aren't familiar, who could go 30, 20. I don't think he's going to get quite enough playing time because the way the Rockies fuck around with stuff, they'll probably put him in a platoon. Um, and he strikes out a lot. He's got like, not quite Gallo, but Gallo-esque, you know, 30-plus strikeouts, 30-plus percent strikeouts. But he also looks like Gallo. He's like 6'6", just a stud athlete, plays in cores. Uh, Boots said he could be the next I – mean, when he drafted him, he said that's the next Pete, uh, referring to uh, – what's his name? Pete, uh, the Mets first baseman, blanking on his name. Um Alonzo. Alonzo, yeah. there you go. Um, I wanted to say Pete Verdugo because that was like Keith's name. <laughs> I think that's not right. Um, I don't think he's the next Pete Alonzo because he doesn't have 50 home run power, but he also, Alonzo doesn't have 20 stolen base speed. So Hilliard, I think, is someone who um, was an excellent, excellent buy who could be, who could pay dividends right away and also could be a great keeper. So, I mean, he, he, the, the strikeouts and, and just the, the glutton of outfielders the Rockies have could suppress him and Maybe it doesn't come to fruition yet, but I think there's a lot to like there. So that I think that by made up for the Sean Murphy blunder. Um, all in all, you know, like the Yandy Diaz and the Edmund and the Sutsugo, like a couple of those guys will work out. A couple of them won't. There's plenty of guys on the wire. I think he's got enough of a pitching staff. Um, didn't really look to see what he did in the supplemental. Looking at it now, don't care for it too much. Um, but I, I think he did a pretty good job all in all. I think there's enough there to work with. Yeah, I like that knowledge. I never heard of Sam Hilliard, so and that's why we have this podcast. So, I I will say that's better than I thought after listening to you. Um, I was thinking it's kind of like the the double or the opposite of demand scene where he's all pitching no hitting, but his his uh, hitting is much better than demand's pitching. I'll say that. Yeah. I mean, why would why would they just trade Bryce Harper for Degrom right now? That's like a good wow, wow. <laughs> similarly wow. priced, similar needs. By the way, so I pulled up, uh, pulled up. Oh, let's add right on now. to that. Let's add on to that. Boots, he is stubborn, so he probably won't give up on Murphy, but he needs a catcher too. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to do all their work for him. I mean, geez. 
by the way, just really quick, looking at Hilliard, I mean, AAA last year, so obviously it's minor leagues, and it's Colorado Springs, which is like hitting in cores, which he gets to do. Uh, 126 games, 35 homers, 109 runs, 101 RBIs, 22 stolen bases, about a 900 OPS. So, okay. and he came up 27 games last year uh, with the Rockies, seven homers. So what's that? That's like a 40 homer pace. Guy can hit, guy can play. So if they give him a chance, um, the most bullish projection is Stips. Is it Stips? Zips has him at like 2020. Um, so if he gets a chance, he's going to be a good player. Like I said, I just kind of ran out of spots, but I think that was mm-hmm. a great buy. I was surprised to see, I thought we might've seen Sean in there as the Rocky, but yeah. maybe, maybe he's worried about that playing time crunch. Cause it, you figure, you know, well, obviously Blackman's going to play every day. David Dahl should play every day till he gets hurt. Um, and they have that Ramal Tapia, who's not that great, but is out of options. And they're still paying Ian Desmond. They have Garrett Hampson. Like, there's just so many at-bats to go around. That's the, the biggest thing working against him. Brennan Rogers, is that – that's Colorado, right? Yeah, infield. Yeah, so Sean already had him there and Voight at the utility. So, I guess he didn't even have room for Hilliard and probably frustrated that Boots got him. Yeah, I don't remember the timing of it. I mean, because I know uh, Sean Field is out – Filled out some of his outfield kind of late with like Chew and out of sale, so I don't remember if he could have done it or not. But um, regardless, he is Boots's prize now. Ken, you're up next. I gotta say, you did what champs do. I think you had a great afternoon, but I'll let you comment on your team before I give some further, some further comments. Yeah, right here. it's a little hard judging your own team, um, but I kind of got the players that I wanted. Um, except for Keston, like I said earlier. So that was kind of middle of the draft. So it threw a wrench in things, and I would have had a lot more money left over. So I kind of moved that money to Grendahl. I moved it to uh, Chris Davis and Otani. So those those three guys were not in the plan. Um, I usually save utility for $1 prospects or sleepers. Didn't have a chance to do that. Uh, my favorite buy was Max Freed, Fry. Um, that guy I was targeting, and I had him, I had a, probably up to 15, so I'm glad to get him at nine for next year and the year after, many years after. Um, Willie Adams was a post type guy I like getting. Adamus. Uh, Come Adamus, on. Yeah. Put some respect on that. Yeah, my new name is the Adamus family. I saw that with the fan <laughs> PH. Yeah, that yeah. was pretty good. I like that. And one. then, uh, uh, Austin Hayes was on my radar, um, so I'm glad I got him for one buck. Uh, Bryant, I will say, I, I, I'll give him the credit whether or not he did it on purpose or not, but Cup bid me up a lot there. I was going to max out at 35, but I said, fuck it, I got money, and I still had money on the floor, so I got I went up to 40 for him. Rizzo was one of the other guys that I was targeting at 39. It was going to be him or Machado probably. And then uh, Fam, I really wanted him. And I think 33 was probably as high I was going to go. So I'm glad to get him at 30. And then uh, Corbin Burns, no one knows him or no one likes him, but I felt like he was great at one. Maybe I read, I bought into two, one too many articles about him, but I think he's going to be my uh, Woodruff this year. And then Copic came back home at $2. So I'm glad to have him. All right, lots to unpack here. So first of all, I noticed you have the Cubs stack, Rizzo, Bryant, and Schwarber. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I had that trio a couple of years ago. It didn't serve me too well, but obviously <laughs> all very good players. So I'm just going to kind of run down the list and recap some of the guys you commented on in no particular order. So Adamas, I, 
I don't for adult. I mean, he's gonna he's one of the few guys in the Rays lineup that I think is not gonna get platooned because he's a shortstop and they don't have can't just carry a bunch of shortstops. Um, so I, I I get that he's gonna play every day and stuff, but what do you want? I'm literally in the podcast right now. Jesus, um, sorry. So is that your adult, dog or your kid? <laughs> neither. <laughs> I put I put something in front of the door so Charlie couldn't. Uh, break in but meredith could so oh. <laughs> but she, she knew i was pod what's going on here um she had to get a chair for charlie so as long as it keeps her from crying that's good <laughs> all right we digress anyhow the adonis thing though someone was saying like oh yeah 2020 and i looked i'm like what and i looked it up he has 10 career stolen bases in 900 at bats he stole four last year so i'm not really sure where that 2020 stuff was coming from so not hating on him for a buck but i, I guess i'm just not seeing the the ceiling that that you guys were discussing kind of in the auction yesterday. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was the, the plan B for losing Keston. Understood. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, where are we looking here? So Austin Hayes, I think that was probably my favorite buy. Uh, I, I don't know that he has the upside that he has the prospect pedigree. I don't know if he has the upside that some of the other prospect types have, but the nice part is he should be like hitting the top of the order from opening day and yeah. you don't, like you don't have to wait on him. Like if he turns into something you flip, you can still get production from him in the meantime um, or just hang on to him. So those are always nice. Like when you, when you have that big upside and you don't have to just waste an NA spot on him, you actually get something from him in the meantime. So I think that was a good buy there. Um, one I didn't really care for was German Marquez. He's incredibly talented, but just his ERA, I think at Coors last year was six over six. And so uh, it's just, you know, Coors is undefeated. I, 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 just, I, I don't think you can hope for better than like a, a low to probably mid fours ERA from a guy like him just having to make 16 starts in Colorado. So wasn't in love with that one. Freed is a guy who I don't see it as much as others, but a lot of people I think are really, really smart, like him a lot. So I get that one. Uh, fun fact, he went to the same high school as Lucas Giolito and Jack Flaherty. And I'm pretty sure Back they were up. there closely the same. Could you imagine that shit? That Back trio? Up. Like, Jesus Christ. Um, and then Burns. So you said he was like the Woodruff uh, of this year. He was almost the Woodruff of last year. Those two guys right. were, were fighting for a rotation spot. Um, Burns, uh, he gave up like three or four homers per nine last year. He just gave up home run after home run. But like super nasty stuff. Throws really hard. And, and um, some folks who are way into like the baseball, like drive line and all the the, the super science behind pitching has said that like he's not even using his optimal spin and if he can like do that then he can just have like probably the grossest fastball in baseball so um i think you're right in that he he is a, a click away from being really good but also i don't think he even has a rotation spot at the time so i can understand why there wasn't too much of a market yet but he could totally be one of those guys we look back on and go oh shit like we let ken pull that off so a goodbye there. I like Gossman too. We didn't even talk about him, but I think that the Giants are pretty smart and it's a good park. So uh, he's kind of a two-pitch guy, and then most of his success came in the bullpen last year. So we'll see if that translates as a starter. Um, but he's someone who, when I was looking at my RP spots, I, I definitely had an eye on him. And then Kopech, I don't know when he's going to come up, um, but I think, you know, we, we talked last year about him being a guy that I like. So, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah, I respect that one. Cool. All, all in all, I mean, you, you came in there with a plan. You executed it mostly. You, know, you had to pivot a couple of times, as we always do. I think you ended up with a really good team. And 
we have our work cut out as a league to not let you uh i mean three <laughs> three in a row would be like we just shut it down <laughs> yeah I, i'm officially the heel of the league no one wants the three feet so it, it's gonna be a fun year for me being the heel is fun you wear it yeah. you wear yeah. that man I know at least this year, if, if we get a rematch, I'll finally have someone rooting for me in the final. Because <laughs> <laughs> usually it's like, fuck Mish. <laughs> so it'll be like when, I don't know, when like Yokozuna turned, turned face or something. <laughs> All right, a couple more to talk to. Frank, um, always steady, always comes out with a pretty solid team. Um, looks a little different than, than, than I would have expected from him, but I want to hear your thoughts on him. Yeah, I like his draft. Um, let's go down the list. Like, Javi Baez at 36, I thought was good. I couldn't take another Cub. Um, Buxton, or he kept Buxton, but Stanton was one of my favorite picks of the draft, actually. People are talking about, can he stay healthy? He's already hurt. But at $32, that's that's um, Luis Roberts' money. That's cheap. So <laughs> that's the MVP candidate. And uh, – he loves Kiermaier. I don't know much about him, but he, he I knew he was going to get him. Um, Lance Lynn I liked a lot. Uh, I've, I read a little bit about Hauser being pretty good at one. And then uh, LeMay at 11, I think, could be a breakout candidate. Um, so, yeah, I like his draft a lot. So we've been pretty much in sync uh, most of this conversation. Uh, this one, we're totally on the opposite side of the fence here. Um, with the caveat that I'll say that Frank is such a good fantasy manager that if he, if, like, if I don't love his draft at first glance, then it almost makes me wonder like what I'm missing as opposed to, oh. to you know what I mean? Like, That's so respect, yeah. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it was one of his better showings, but again, I have to sit there and go, well, maybe, maybe he's seeing some shit. I'm not because he's always, you know, he had a tough year last year with a ton of injuries, but generally one of the best managers in the league. So so I think that perhaps I'm just not giving enough credit to some of the guys he likes and vice versa. Um, you know, Baez is uh, someone who I like, but it's, it's not the, he, he likes, I think the biggest difference to me and Frank is he like, he, he'll pay that premium gladly on power speed guys. Whereas I feel like they get a little inflated. And like, you look at the Starling Marte, he, who he kept, who, if he didn't keep, he would have bought him for 39 bucks again, as, as he does every year. Those are the types of guys that I think I don't like to pay for as much that he likes. So that's where we differentiate just kind of on philosophy. Um, but overall, like Stanton, see, I didn't like that one. I, 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 when he got hurt, I was like, okay, here's the buying opportunity. I'll gladly go 20, 25 bucks tops for Stanton. Um, and I thought maybe people would just go, fuck it. I'm done with this guy. Cause we know that this is the, the first DL stint of probably a couple to come this year. Um, so I thought there was going to be a buying opportunity. Once he started going over 30 bucks, I just, I'm like, here's a guy who I gave him a lot of leeway in the past about having, um, some fluke injuries, like getting hit in the face with a pitch. And I think into a wall once, but now it's starting to show that he's just soft. He gets a bunch of soft tissue injuries and, and he gets hurt a lot. And then I just don't know that I would have paid that money. Um, Pollock and Kiermaier are a couple of guys who I just, like Pollock's probably getting pushed out of playing time. Kiermaier always hurt as well. So didn't love that one. Um, there's yeah, some good players there. there. Just sorry, I would just agree with you. Like I'm looking at it, he kind of went the stars and scrubs a little bit. Um, I don't like his $1 guys much. Yeah. The, the, I think the Nunez could be a nice little power guy. 
And Kiermaier, like he's shown 2020 flashes before, but I think that, you know, that's just in the past. Eaton's solid. You know, Eaton's like probably 15-15 with a bunch of runs. Like there's some good stuff there. Uh, even Smoke could be a good power hitter when he plays. I don't know like what that's going to look like. Solak I like. Like there's stuff I like. I'm not shitting on his team at all. I just, there's some stuff that I, I would have done a little bit differently. But then again, you know, as I mentioned, he's the type of guy that maybe I'm missing something on some of these players. Uh, I did definitely like the Josh James buy. I think that's the kind of guy you throw a few bucks at at the end of the of the auction for a pitcher. He should be in the rotation um, in, in Houston. And he walks a lot of guys. And the, the odds are that he that doesn't change. But he is so much ceiling that if he can figure that part out and still keep those strikeouts, like talking about a true ace. So uh, and he has the pedigree and the, the 100-mile fastball didn't know to do that. So um, definitely some pieces I really, really like. Just some other ones that I wasn't, you know, some, some buys I wouldn't have made myself. But it's Frank, and he will, if, if there's any shortcomings that um, show up you know, over the first, first couple months, he'll address them through trade or through, especially through Midnight Madness. He'll have a very, very good team, and I would expect him to make the playoffs. Yeah, and they're in – if he's borderline playoffs, there's no quit. Like he'll buy to get eighth place. So we know he'll be there. <laughs> We've seen that. So <laughs> all right, man. Uh the last team here is Old Eels. Um, he's definitely a team that if you would have put a you know, blacked out his name, show me the roster, I would have bet twenty percent of my annual income that, that was Eli's team. <laughs> Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I'll speak more to it after you lead off here. Um I guess I don't know Eels as much, so I wouldn't have guessed it. But I know he is uh, a closer guy, but I don't see many closers there. Um, He did pivot there. That's a good point. Yeah. I I, I wasn't sure who Mason Saunders was. He had to tell me that one later. But I thought I think Bumgarner at eight is nice. Um, Urshlo was sneaky at one dollar. and then I like Machado at $31. Um, so he was one of my favorite buys as well. He He's probably a little overrated, but at 31, he's that's pretty nice value. Um, I thought not, not much like jumped out at me, but I don't see much bad either. So I think it's a pretty decent draft. It's always unsexy. Like we've said that on yeah. other pods yeah. when we talked about his style. Here are the staples of, Eli, of an Eli Skarston draft. And I bet you if you went back and looked at previous drafts, you would see – three or four, if not all five of these. Number one is he will buy low on a star player who's coming off a bad year, Manny Machado. He'll do like he's, he's a guy who was 40, 50 bucks year over year. The market will sour and he'll scoop up. Uh, He will buy unsexy productive veterans like David uh, Peralta or Ryan Braun guys who are going to put together a good year quietly who other people have just kind of like, whether it just because of an injury or because they're, they're getting older they're not sexy anymore. He'll jump on them and get a bunch of production. The Shinshu Chu in the past and those types, always an Eli type player. He'll buy those half season studs that people aren't quite buying into yet, like Gio Urshela or like Hunter Dozier. Not to say that they're going to be stars, but they were, you know, they each had really good stretches last year that maybe people just thought, ah, like they've never done it before. And it's only been, you know, three or four good months. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay for it. He'll gladly scoop them up on the cheap, and those guys will return, you know, nice investments on their one dollar. He pieces together a pitching staff. Like he'll pay for a few guys. Like he said, Bumgarner. Um, you know, he bought Otani. He kept Kershaw. But then all the way down to the last pick, the supplemental, someone like Rick Porcello, who's gonna 
be steady Eddie. Probably give you a four two ERA, a decent whip in K to walk, and a lot of K's just by way of volume because he's gonna throw a lot of innings. Like that's that's all trademark Eli. And then the last piece is the injured pitcher DL stash, right? So he yeah. bought Luis Severino this year. A few years ago, Adam Wainwright had TJ. He bought him to stash him so he could trade him. A couple of years either before or after that, you Darvish had TJ. He bought him for three bucks to stash him to trade him. Like that, that is, he looks for those guys every year because it's just yeah. a free flippable asset that you don't have to burn a roster spot on. Severino is hurt too. Nicholas is hurt, but I don't know Not if it's bad. that bad yeah. yet. So, sneaky yeah, definitely. If he pitches, he's a great buy dollar. Um, but I don't know how bad that is yet. So I think it, they just kind of shut him down for the time being, I think. But the Severino won't be interesting to see what that market looks like in a year because he, number one, he just had TJ this week. So he may not even be back in time for opening day next year. And at that point, you're talking about, you know, trading for a keeper. Granted, he has ace potential and he's only a dollar, but trading for a keeper who didn't pitch in 2020 and threw, what, 20 innings last year? Like, so you're talking about a guy who's throwing like 20 big league innings in two seasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but someone will give something for him and he paid a buck. Like he's going to get more than a dollar of production out of that purchase. So those are all things Eli does and he does them well. Uh, my favorite buy probably is Jordan Alvarez, who's someone who I had ranked up there with the Freddie Freemans and the Bryce Harpers of the world. I thought he was worth well into the forties, but I just knew that he would go early and go for a good amount of money. And I, couldn't lock up all those dollars so i knew that someone would get a what i perceived as a discount on him i think he's gonna have a monster year i know i said that shit about the astros but i don't think alvarez or someone like a kyle tucker are going to be quite as targeted like literally literally or figuratively i don't think those are the types of guys that you're going to plunk as often at least um those aren't the ones who are going to get booed the loudest or, or the, be the pariahs because they're just, I mean, yeah, they're the Astros, but they had no part in that shit. So, yeah, he's um, going to get questions like, what do you feel about it? How do you feel about your teammates rather than why did you do it? So different kind of attention. Yeah. Yeah. So probably my favorite buy. Uh, the one, the least favorite buy, I would say, is I think there's there's more risk um, than most people would perceive in Nick Anderson who if he gets the raise closers job, I think could be the best. He could be the number one rank reliever in the league. He's like insane. I mean, he's going to have, even if he doesn't get all the saves, he's going to have such good numbers. Um, but I think that people are just kind of penciling him in as the raise closer. And we know that the Rays don't really tend to operate that way. They kind of, you know, they shuffle shit around and they'll put in their best reliever in the seventh, if that's the high leverage spot. And so, he might be like a 15 or 20 save guy, even though he's, he's an elite reliever. So yeah, we'll see. I, I, we'll see about that. And I feel yeah. the same way about Sean's Gallegos, just since we're on that topic, like mm-hmm. he seems to be, since Carlos Martinez is going to the rotation, Gallegos, who was an elite reliever last year, seems to be like he would be next in line, but the Cardinals do that shit too. So wouldn't be surprised if he's like a 20 save guy, 15, 20 saves, even though he should pencil in as, as the closer on if, if your teams are thinking along the more traditional lines. I'll agree with you on Nick Anderson. He, uh, he got a ring with me last year, and he was lights out. So he will be good. But, again, the Rays are like the poster child of a closer by committee, cl- opener, everything. So that one is a little risky. And and while you're talking, I was looking at his team, and 
I didn't realize he spent a lot of money going into the draft. So he only had two purchases over $10, but that was Machado 31 and Alvarez at 34. So we used it wisely. Um, but yeah, I did a lot with a little this in this draft. I didn't realize that. Yeah, you're, you're right. He, he bought a couple of guys and then he just kind of picked around, picked the spots. Pretty interesting there. Um, all right, Ken. So we are wrapping up here and we are going to count this down. going to wrap this up with the top stiffy moments. Uh, most of them are, are the, the funny memories that were created yesterday. But I think one of the top serious moments is congratulations partially to you. Two new rules passed. Number yeah. one, uh, we can, it was funny. So I was thinking, like, it was chuckling in my head, like, now that you made it eight uh, to, to pass a rule, do you then go, all right, now let's vote. Let's make it seven. And you only need eight votes to make it seven. <laughs> <laughs> let's go. Like, maybe we just put a stoppage there. <laughs> yeah. Well, the intent behind the nine out of 12, when I made the Constitution, you know, a decade ago was like, basically to prevent what happened in the first league we had, which was like rules change drastically yeah, all the yeah. time. And it's like, we don't want to go crazy, but two thirds majority is re- reasonable. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't vote for seven, but I, I, I voted for the eight. I think that was a good idea. So maybe uh, hopefully we can be adults and not get it to seven, but yeah, eight's reasonable. Yeah. And then the other is uh, we have agreed next year to up the buy-in to 150 with a hundred staying in the pot um, and 50 going towards the MK association, I think is how Sean, termed it and we'll put that money in the pot and eventually uh, start distributing it in, in fun and or meaningful ways. So um, I think that was a good idea too. All right, Ken. So, well, in, I, I don't know if it was on purpose or not, but we also passed the additional uh, punishment. Oh yeah, we did. I forgot yeah, about so we that had one. three rules technically, if you include the lower vote. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So the, the additional punishment was one more punishment and that punishment will be, it's still choice, right? But the, the punishment still, added yeah. to the mix is singing the national anthem. Yes, exactly. So still, <laughs> last place still gets a choice of two. And first place of the constellation still is uh, exempt from a punishment. So it was, a, it was a nice middle ground. All right. I appreciate you politicking your way to uh, improving our league. <laughs> All right. So then I'm going to kind of turn I'll, I'll turn it over to you. I know you have a, a handful of the top moments that you were had documented for us. So yeah. in no particular order, lead it off. What was, what was one of the best moments of Stiffy 2020? Yeah. And so uh, we talked about this beforehand and I kind of wanted to do this because we always have fun at the draft and we don't really talk about it after because we don't actually get to see each other out often. So it's hard to reminisce. So I, I think this is a good, a fun idea. Um, and so I was trying to keep track during when things hit me like oh this is gonna this is hilarious um so i was a little worried that i was just fucking high and that everything was fucking hilarious because i was literally in tears at some points but i i I ran it by you and i you at least said they're pretty good (laughs) but the i guess the first thing is just the man's auction skills in general he had me he had me laughing the whole time um kind of touched upon it before but the uh carlos carrasco comments i was like oh my god this guy is cold-blooded um and then something with me personally was uh how he added like five s's to the solds on my auctions so i was just calling him out and i was going a little ape shit over that but it's all in fun um and then demand targeting third 
that was that was hilarious i was cracking up in the corner uh for i think he can get a little bent out of shape a little quick and so he was like what the fuck but then i know he was kidding later on when he was like when he was taking it to the man outside like what the fuck i think he even shed a tear in, in his acting skills so that was hilarious um uh, i think they hopefully they made up um keith in a he, he was in a dog home respect to that he kept it on the whole time so he is keeping the honor of the punishment so i respect him for that but then just adding on the green uh face paint and then him in a dog home, and then the fishnet gloves that was a sight and then when he was uh you and he was getting angry at boots for talking too much that was killing me like just i'm across the room imagine boots and keith literally in the corner of that little nook over there and keith is on the other side of boots so uh boots just talking nonstop, and keith just quiet and just has this look on his face like shut the fuck up and he couldn't do anything about it i was just cracking up at that visual um but again props to keith for keeping it on the whole time um a little side tangent there uh, on the punishments. Um, Nick, uh, he was talking about like if straight up, if I'm left with dog cone and whatever options, I'm not doing it. But at, so we can talk about it as it comes up. He is saying, I just have a, I just have a stopping point where I won't do it. But at least he'll say he'll come up with a replacement punishment that the whole league has to agree is equally as bad. So that might cause some controversy, but we'll see what happens when we get there. If we get there. Um, a lot, it's a lot of demand theme here. Um, the next one I have is in the supplemental. I think we are like round three supplemental demands, like trying to play it cool. He's like, oh, I got a guy but I'm worried that someone is going to bid that bid him up to two or should I go to two? I'm like, dude, what the fuck? It's a third round of the supplemental dumbass. And he's just like, uh, just had that Steve Harvey look, just complete blank. Uh, I forget who he nominated, but that was fucking hilarious to me. And then I'll, this is probably the most funny for me. And it was at the very beginning, but boots, he he uh, bought the Grom for $50. And then a couple minutes later, Verlander goes for $41. And I'm talking shit on that on both sides. And then uh, <laughs> Boots kind of gets the look like he realizes he may have fucked up. And he whispers to Eli, who's literally across the room, is like, hey, Eli, is... Verlander really better than DeGrom? <laughs> so he's, that's the worst feeling in the world. And maybe that was what led to the rest of his draft. But um, those are the ones that had me rolling on the floor yesterday. Sorry about that, guys. I, I lost my microphone, but I think everything just recorded uh, from Ken's side. And you got to hear the, the top stiffy moments. To, to recap some of my takes there, demand the auctioneer. I, the five S's on old um you know part part of that is like you know hey there's a little bit of an advantage to be in the auctioneer you get to get your last bid and stuff i don't think there was any malicious targeting of trying to pick on fur i think that was we all know demand was not 
completely yeah. sober. So yeah. I think that was more coincidence. Um, and I'll say that, yeah, that's the power you do get. Like, there, oh, I just remembered another moment where, so we give him the the free reign to add six S's or just add his own at the end or let anyone in at any time. There was another point later in the draft where I got someone for two bucks. I'm like penciling him in and then like, Three minutes later, he's like, oh, okay, $3. And I'm like, what? What just happened? You just reopened it? He's like, that's what I get. <laughs> that's what I get. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, demand, I, it's a thankless job being an auctioneer. I've done it. I hate it. I thank him for doing it. But you know what? There's an idea. We could, we could also look to a friend like Tim who likes to come hang out with us and can actually deal with our drunkenness and give him like 100, 150 bucks, like 10 bucks a piece, nothing big. <laughs> And he'd be like, dude, you're the auctioneer. Like, come hang out with us, free food, yeah. hang out. You got a job to do. We can always float that by him. We have plenty of time to think about that. Um, I do think the man enjoys it, though. And yeah, it so, keeps him fully engaged. I don't know where yeah, he'd be yeah. if he wasn't in the middle of it. Actually, there's another. They're, they're coming back to me now. There was another one where he had to take – he was just drunk off his mind. So he was talking to someone or left the room, and then got it. I got it. Deke's good at it too, but it's not the same. And it kind of went haywire. And the man's like, "I'm back!" And thank <laughs> God I'm back. What happened? <laughs> so, so yeah, he he likes it, and it is thankless. So this whole thing right now is hopefully thanks enough for him, though. It was good. Yeah, he does. He generally does a pretty good job. We go off the rails, but I think that's inevitable. Um, the the bidding, the looking to bid two dollars on his nomination during the self-fucking <laughs> incredible. Cool. That was probably my favorite moment. Um I feel for Keith being over there pissed off in the dog cone. That that corner spot back there in the very corner, I think that Keith is sitting in was the one I originally dropped my stuff on. And then I was like, no way. Like I, I'm gonna <laughs> get pinned back right. here and I'm not gonna be able to hear and I'm gonna be like, no. So yeah, that was a that was a tough seat to be in, but um, but I did hear Boots whisper to Eels. That was fucking funny too, because so you picked the person literally <laughs> the furthest away from you to try to get the subtle like <laughs> piece of validation. <laughs> um, I'm dying. All in all, there was uh yeah, there was a, a lot of good moments. Um, I, I was I was getting my laughs in, even though I was over kind of medicined up in the corner um yeah. but overall yeah a lot of good shit i'm sure there's some other good stuff that took place even after i left hopefully um sean and Lauren's house wasn't too much of a war zone how late did you guys stay um not too late but last we did we started doing like a, a whiskey tasting big big thanks to eels for uh, sharing all that sean put a couple bottles in there too um last time i checked it was like eight thirty, but probably left around nine gotcha Okay. Yeah. Right on. Well, it was uh, another great stiffy, another great party. Looking forward to an awesome season. Um, we've gone, uh, I don't know, probably we're in a few different segments here. So probably at least an hour and a half. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up the official stiffy recap show? Yeah. Just wishing everyone the best of luck. I'm, I'm excited to be the heel and I am the favorite to be the three Pete. So hopefully it doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't affect my trade uh partners but we got i got a couple guys that we've had some good deals with over the years and we have a good relationship so don't forget that um i don't mean to shit on your team too much but uh i'll say again it's, i think it might be a stretch for a rematch but i hope we your m wins out and we get there so that'll be a fun <laughs> one 
Um, and then just, uh, I know you weren't all the way there, but I'm glad that you were there and uh, wishing you the best. Appreciate that. I'm, uh, it's, you know, every day is a little up and a little up, a little down, but I'm confident about the new team of doctors I've got. And, uh, we're, we're rolling, we're rolling out some of the really bad shit. So that's good. And we just got to yeah, get to the yeah. bottom of it and get me kind of back to fully back to normal. So this, this past week was better than one before. Like, like a week ago, I truly was considering lining up a, a replacement. So I was glad to just be there in general. Um, it was, it was fun to see everyone. I'm really looking forward to baseball starting. It's always nice to have something to come flip on in the evenings and yep, stuff. And yep. Try to try to watch your guy get a save right before you go on the bed, and hopefully doesn't you know shoot your blood pressure through the roof when he starts walking. <laughs> guys, that's the best. So, all right, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on and chatting. Um, appreciate uh, again, Cup and, and Sean for the the extra contributions yesterday, hosting and cooking. Um, looking forward to another good season, guys. Thanks for listening. And uh, good luck come opening day, uh, 25 days away. We still got some time to make some trades, work the waiver wire, and then uh, MK11 will commence. All right, take care. Peace.